Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 27. The decisions of faith. Lori Laughlin and her husband have been accused of paying $500,000 to alleged scam artist, mastermind, Matt Singer. And to get their daughters, Olivia Jade and Isabel, recruited onto the University of Southern California um, crew team, though they never rode or competed in such competition. They wanted to get into USC. They pled not guilty to fraud and money laundering or laundering charges, and potentially they face 40 years behind bars. And there's late recent charges this past week that have come out against them. I'm sure if they could do it again, they would make different decisions. They would go a different route. You know, life is made up of decisions. Some decisions are rather unimportant and insignificant, and others are very complex and rather significant. Some we could make rather lightly and quickly, and others we just cry out to God for, for a long period of time. God, give us wisdom in begging him to guide us and direct us. You know, the course and quality of our lives, they're not made up by, by what happens in different circumstances in our lives, but it's really made up by, by how do we make certain decisions. That's really what changes and matters in our lives. You know, we come to our passage this morning, Hebrews 11. I want us to see that really Christian living, holy Christian living, is made up of making right decisions. You know, how do we make right decisions for God? You know, right decisions are those that are made according to the Bible. What does God's word say? How should I live? What should I do? How should I think? What should my actions be? And really, you can note the maturity of a Christian by the decisions they make, right? And I think we rise and fall in our holiness and in our godliness before him by based on the decisions that we make. Holiness is making godly decisions, right decisions. Carnality is making wrong ones, temporal ones. Or put differently, as we look at Hebrews 11, 1, that really sets the, the description of faith. Faith is the substance or assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. So we might put it this way. Godly choices are made by faith. It's where we will pursue the invisible versus looking at the temporal, looking at what's on earth and the visible. God, help me to live by faith and help me to make those decisions that are really looking for that which can't be seen. Put differently, the eternal, God, the invisible. By faith, the righteous make godly choices by choosing the eternal or by seeing the invisible. That's what I want us to look this morning in the passage that, that Mario read, Matthew chapter, or um, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 27. If, you were, if you're there, if you're not there, if you were turned there, but let me just frame it by looking briefly at Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 10, verse 32, and in verse 36, there is the same Greek word that's used, the word enduring. I know that's English, but the Greek word is the same word, hupomeno. Okay, and we find that in 32 and 36. And then you turn to chapter 12, verse 2, and you say, looking to him who endured, endured the cross, is the same Greek word as in Hebrews 10, 32, and 36. Then it's used one more time. In verse 3 of chapter 12, endure, don't grow weary. So here we have chapter 11 framed on one side, with the words endure, and in chapter 12, endure, endure. And in the middle, pushes us to our example. 
Let me give you an example of a host of men and women that endured. Men and women that, that made right choices. And I want us to see as we look at the life of, of a Moses, made choices of looking at the invisible, not the visible, not making choices by the moment or by what we can see or by our desires, but by the eternal. So let's look at verse 24 and see faith that rejects, a faith that rejects the world's values. Here is Moses that is making choices by faith, faith in the invisible. And I'm going to choose those things that reject what people in the world think pretty important. And the first one that Moses rejects, we see in verse 24, is prestige. The world's prestige or the world's, world's honor. And it says of Moses in 24, by faith, Moses. By faith, he's making a choice in things that aren't seen. Reaching back to verse 1. I'm now going to show you, Moses says, by faith, or the writer of Hebrews, by faith how he lived. By faith when he was grown. When he was grown up, he refused. How many years did Moses live in Egypt? Forty, right? So for the first 40 years, but when he was grown up, when he was now 40 years old, he's coming to a point where there's a key decision that he needs to make. And he's going to make this decision based on the will of God. But we need to kind of ask an important question. How is Moses able to take a stand like he did, willing to set everything aside as to who he was as an Egyptian, able to make a choice to side with some Israelites that were being beaten up and abused by some Egyptian? Where did he get that, that foundation? And we're not going to go there this morning. It's a great... Maybe pastor will preach a Mother's Day message. But here is, I think his mom is impacting him. Remember? Moses is floating around in some water, found by Pharaoh's daughter. She then suddenly hears from a wandering Israelite who's in the water, hey, want me to find a nurse for you? And so he grew up on his mother's lap. So his mom impacted him. His mom, I'm sure, taught him the values and gave him the all-important identification. Who are you, Moses? Who are you? And told him his, of his identification of who he was. So Moses, when he gets to this point, we see in Exodus chapter 2, and he's walking and he sees his brother suffering. He had a decision to make. Is he going to continue to be an Egyptian? With all that's involved in all of the titles and what's involved in being an Egyptian. Or is he going to throw in his lot at that point of time with his brethren? Of course, we know what, what he decided. Pause for a moment. For 40 years, 40 years, Moses enjoyed all that Egypt represented. Now, if you're thinking that Moses is hanging out in some cave with a spear and huffing as people come near his terrain and then running back in, you have it so wrong with Moses. Moses lived in the most extreme culture of his day. At the lofty, it's a utopia. It's Egypt. They were, as one said in Sunday school class this morning, the United States. They were the lead nation of that day. They were wealthy. They were cultured. They were intelligent. They were wise. Just go to Egypt and check out the pyramids. I mean, they're incredible people. In fact, it says in Acts 7.22, Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So Moses is a refined, brilliant, wealthy powerful man but he remembered who he was 
and there was a faith that was growing in his heart and in his bosom that he desired, and we'll see it moment, momentarily, he desired the eternal. He desired the invisible. He desired to do God's will in his life. So this is Moses as he's powerful, he's comfortable, he's wealthy, he's in this position of being highly educated. He could do any entertainment he wanted. He could go for a boat ride down any Nile River or any other tributary that he wanted. He was a man of had incredible means and everything at his fingertips. When he walked around, he walked in style. I'm sure that people bowed before the prince of Egypt. But notice what it says of Moses. And we want to eventually ask, where did he get this from? How was he able to make a decision? Moses, when he was grown, he refused. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's son. It means to reject. It's, a, it's in the aorist tense. It's a one-time rejection in the past. It's a permanent rejection. He made a decision. And we'll look at the word choosing in a moment. But he made this decision. I am not going to part with the Egyptian lifestyle. I am not going to hold on to who I am and all the honor and the prestige that goes with that. I am going to not choose the visible, the things that I see. I'm after the invisible. But he refused. Moses refused to be called Pharaoh's son. From the world standpoint, I think they would have said, man, you are weird. You are like loser. Like you're choosing nothing and giving up everything. All that Egypt represented me. Remember where he's going to be hanging out for 40 years? Like brushing off the dust before he goes in the tent as he's hanging out with the shepherds and being a caretaker in the desert. And then it only gets worse because he'll go back to Egypt, have his life threatened. Then he takes a bunch of rabble-rousers, idolaters, complaining, stiff-necked people. So, Moses, you blew it. But Moses didn't. Moses valued because he saw the eternal. He was looking after the invisible. And we talk about decisions. How do we make decisions in life? Here is Moses giving up the world's prestige because he's viewing, he has his sights on the invisible. He's viewing that which is far more eternal. He's a man that's, that's living by faith, not by sight. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter. Baron Justoni, Austrian Baron Justoni von Welts lived about 400 years ago. He was an extremely wealthy man, but he renounced his titles. He gave up his estates, and he had multiple estates, and he gave up his income for one purpose. He went to be a missionary to Suriname, South America. There was nobody that he heard of that was going down to this northern part of South America, and he heard of the great need, and he said he gave it all up to make a difference for God. And this is what's recorded, what he said. I'm sure as he's a man that no one really knows much about. I'd be shocked if we even had one or two people here heard of Von Welts. Um, I only heard because I was reading another book that quoted him. But as he was going to missionary service, he said, what is it to me to bear the title well-born when I am born again to Christ? What is it to be called your grace when I have need of God's grace? All these vanities I will away with and all else I will lay at the, my dear feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a man that, that pursued the invisible. He wasn't stuck in a title. 
wasn't stuck in a state. He wasn't stuck in all of his possessions and all that was afforded to him in the late 1600s. He said, I gladly give it up because I'm going to lay it at the feet of Jesus. I need God's grace. I want to be part of him. May we be willing to set aside any titles or prestige that we have because we want to be on mission. We want to serve the purposes of God and we desire for God to be honored. But we're going to get at the end. How can we do all of this? I mean, how do you really do that? Let's hold off. Verse 25. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of, of sin. So a second choice that Moses made by faith, not only am I giving up my prestige and my title and the fine clothing and the title and who I am and the way people treat me, but I'm going to give up the world's pleasures. It said he made a choice. He made a choice to obey God. You know, disobedience really could have been pretty attractive for Moses. Among other things, you know, it would have been a lot easier for, for Moses just to hang out there, to enjoy all of the pleasures of, of Egyptian culture life, right? I mean, it would have been a, an easy run for him just to enjoy himself and all that was afforded to him. He enjoyed the pleasures of an extremely comfortable life, but he did not consider them something to be held on to. He was willing to give them all up, and he made a choice here. You see the word choosing. Paul uses this same word in Philippians 1.22, where he says in verse 21, uh, for to me to gain, for me to die is Christ, to gain, to gain life, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. There you go. And he makes this statement, you know, if I pass away, and he, and he goes on in verse 22, says, I'm in a struggle, what to choose? And he uses that word choose. To depart and be with Christ is far better but to be here and to stay here is more fruitful for you. And he's using that word choice. He's really making a decision what to choose, where to go, because Paul wants both. He wants to be with Jesus, but he wants to stay down here on earth. Well, here Moses is making this statement, and it's a decision. He's choosing, selecting. It's really it's a mental process that he's going through, and he's rushing through with what is the best. He's making a conscientious decision, and it's based on what? On circumstances? Is it based on the visible? No. He's basing it on God's calling on his life. Moses, who are you? He understood who he was. And he understood that God had a purpose. And I think God had revealed somehow to him that he had a calling in his life. And he had a mission and he had a purpose. In fact, it says that in Acts 7.25. When he slayed this man, he says, I just thought they would understand that I was to be their guide to deliver them. And when they didn't, he flew into, into the wilderness. But Moses made his great refusal by faith. By faith. God, I, I choose you. I choose your way. I choose your will over, over the temporal. I choose the invisible over what I see over the visible. God, I'm not going to just pamper my life. God, I'm going to pursue you and know you. See, Moses chose, it says, mistreatment. Moses cho chose the hard life. Moses chose ill treatment. And if you look in the book of Exodus, we could see that, right? Here's Moses in Exodus, first rejected by his brethren when he defended them. And th the next day they said, are you going to kill us also? So he fled, and then he came back. And when he comes back, God led him. And he talked to the children of Israel, the leadership, and they went to Pharaoh and said, release the people. Well, life became harder. 
and the people were pretty ticked off at Moses. Have you come back just to make our life harder? So they're complaining against that. And then eventually they leave Egypt and get into the wilderness. And they're complaining because it was better back in Egypt. They had all of the cucumbers and all the spices and all the specialties of life. They're whining, complaining. In fact, Moses would call them a stiff-necked people. And then eventually they become idolatrous people. So this is Moses' lot. What a nightmare. What a miserable situation. He gave up his life to, to lead these people. Why? Why did he do it? Because he pursued the invisible. He saw beyond all that was going on, and he knew that God had called him for a purpose. He saw the greater mission. Moses didn't take a halfway position. He just didn't hang out and stay back, back in Egypt. You know, he could have said, you know, I think I could do a greater good if I stay. After all, my relative Joseph did a lot of good by staying here. So I think God can use me in the same role. I'll just kind of climb the ladder and defend Israelite and say, hey, you know, we need to help them out. He could have done that. But he sided in obedience to the will of God and followed what God said. You see the contrast in these two words in verse 25? Choosing to be mistreated than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. You see that tension? Mistreated and enjoy. How many of you like, like to be mistreated? Would you raise your hand? Because we'll take special note of that. No. I mean, how many of you like wake up in the morning and say, you know, I hope today is the day that I lose everything and I could be a pauper. That, that would be fun. Or how many of you say, you know, I hope today's the day that people just rip into me, call me all kind of names, and maybe I'll even get hit. That would be nice. I mean, do we, do we choose that? But you see, that's the choice Moses is making, choosing to be mistreated. I mean, it was a conscious decision. He didn't wake up and say, oh, what, what, what's happening? I can't. He's making a decision, understanding what's before him. He chose to be mistreated. And we don't have time to really get into it this morning because of the connection with Christ, but it's pretty sweet. Chose the affliction of Christ. He was a forerunner of a prophet like Christ. He was leading the Messiah's people. Now, how do we do in our life? Do we choose mistreatment? Um, do we wake up in the morning, and, and here's what I mean by that, or do we rather choose compromise? And it may look something like this. We may go to, we go, we may go to the workplace or to school, and because of people know who we are as a, a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe they'll come after us. Do we keep our testimony silent? Or are we not so visible? Are we not so focused so that people don't get on us? Because it's just, you know, it's just kind of different being a Christian. When it comes to our prayer time at lunch, do we just kind of like do one of these? You know, that was a prayer, right? You know, quickly prayed and then start eating. Um, when it comes to the workplace, are we, are we individuals that might compromise because our boss wants us to kind of shade the truth a little bit? so the numbers can be fudged and they can have more income and maybe they can steal money or hide it and get more income for the company? Or do we take a stand to the point, maybe it'll even cost us our job. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fudge the numbers. I'm not going to be dishonest. I'm going to be true, and even if it costs me my job. Or maybe at school, <coughs> when all everybody's talking about what, unfortunately, they talk about in high school, you know, things that go on. Hey, who did you get together with this past weekend, and what did you do, and 
and then they find out, Nana, you're like, you're a virgin? You can be like, there's a movie made of you, the 40-year-old virgin, is that you? I mean, now they'll laugh at you and get everybody around, hey, you know what, he's, you know what he's never done? Are we willing to, to be true to the word of God? Be obedient, living by faith, pursuing the invisible, because I'm not looking for, for man to slap me on the back and include me in their group, but are we looking for God to include us in his group and to be pleased with us? You see, that's what Moses did. Moses chose, I, I am going to choose mistreatment and to side with God than the easy life. What was his motivation? <coughs> what was Moses' motivation? I'm going to tell you, you probably didn't know this. Moses' motivation was so that people could, could talk about him later. He knew his name was going to be written in some book and that he would have all kinds, he would even have the Messiah talk about him. That, that was his motivation, right? See, Moses didn't know any of that. Moses didn't know that he would become special to people as he has. Moses just saw the present that all that he needed to be was faithful to God. I'm not motivated so that much is made of me. I'm motivated so much is made of God. I want to be, I want to make much of God by faith. I'm going to seek the invisible. I'm not going to seek the visible. You see, and God cries out for people that will stand like Moses. We're going to stand and not be driven by selfishness, so driven by what we want. But God, I'm not going to pursue the visible or the temple. God, I want to pursue you. I want to know you. And I want you to shine through my life. I want you to, to be made big of. Psalm 57, we're here to exalt God. God, I want them to see who you are. The last one I want to address, the world's plenty. You know, by faith we'll reject. Now, please, uh, you understand, I'm not saying that these things are wrong. I'm not saying that we should be like Steinman Stylite, go and the guy that lived in the 300s on some pillar 60 feet up in the air, you know, abusing all the worlds. We're, we're not saying that. If God blesses you with a title, God blesses you with wealth, God blesses you with pleasures, that's good. As long, I mean, you could have those things, but you know what the problem is? Is when those things, what? Have us. See, uh, they're not to have us. God, <coughs> I'm here to just, I'm, I'm here to live for you. By faith, I am going to pursue the invisible. By faith, God, I'm going to pursue you. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. You know, living in Pharaoh's palace, that was a pretty sweet gig. I mean, he lived in the palace. He had everything. This man was affluent. This man was wealthy. And we get a little snapshot of how wealthy Moses was. There was a guy that lived after Moses. His name was King Tut. I forget his full name. But he lived 90 years after the Exodus. And they have uncovered archaeologically, uncovered, found his tomb and his coffin. His coffin weighed 263 pounds of gold. It was just solid gold. And then around the tomb itself, there were over 400 pounds of, 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 of lining and decorations and ornaments. I mean, it was filthy gold rich in those days. King Tut just was throwing away gold in the tomb. I mean, so, so Egyptians, they're not paupers, extremely wealthy state. But Moses was willing to give away all of the, you see what it says, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, you know what? I don't think we would be honest if we were to say, oh, <coughs> you need to know sin is never, doesn't give any happiness. Doesn't give, 
sin gives fleeting pleasures. There is a, a season of happiness in sin. What it doesn't tell you is the price that it comes with. It doesn't say of, of the reaper that comes with. It doesn't say the price tag that you'll eventually pay. But he wasn't after the, some temporary pleasures, you know, sitting, sipping iced tea with his Ray-Ban sunglasses on, the fans, his servants fanning him by the Nile River, and then he jumps and takes a little swing. That's not the life that he was after. Moses gave it all up. But you need to see why he gave it up. What was he after? By the way, before we look at what it says of him, the word consider is a pretty powerful word. It's, as I said before, it's, it's to, 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 um, to make a decision. You're, you're studying it. You're, 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 you're mentally working through a process. But it's, it's an aorist middle participle, which means it happens prior to the leading verb. And the leading verb is refuse. So this considering happened prior to his refusal. So he's mentally thinking through everything. He's thinking through what he should do, and that thought process led him to refuse. So he considered, he weighed all the options, and he realized to follow God, to be on board with God was far better, and so he refused. This choosing rather to be mistreated, he considered the reproach of Christ. Give me the suffering with Christ better than the wealth of Egypt is what he's saying. I read this, and I ask, you know, I want to include you because it's pretty draining when it just include me. So it's easier to use a personal pronoun, us. When we look at, at this passage, how are we challenged? When I, when I compare Moses who gave up the fleeting pleasures of this world, and I ask, God, what am I after? What, what consumes my mind? What consumes my thinking? What is on, the, what is on my list? Do I think more of some sports team or to think more of this or purchasing this item, technology or this game or whatever, what consumes me? But for Moses, what consumed Moses wasn't some new car or bigger TV or more technology or a bigger vacation than what he had before or buying more clothes or buying more shoes or building a closet to hold all the shoes that he does have. It wasn't about things, but he was consumed. How can I be obedient to God? How can I follow God? Faith. Let me tell you, people that endured, though life was difficult, let me give you the example of Moses. Moses denied all of these things because he pursued, and we're about to hit the home run, verse 27, I think, the invisible. He says he's pursuing something beyond him. Pursuing something beyond his, his temporary sphere. Although he was unable to go overseas, Robert Arthington um, had gained a great inheritance from his, from his parents and invested that money in American and British railways and became extremely wealthy from it. But if you read articles about Robert Arthington, you'll read about the millionaire miser. He was a miser. But you know why he was a miser? And this is a quote from, from Robert Arthington. He said, Gladly would I make the floor my bed, a box my chair, and another my table, rather than men should perish for want of the knowledge of Christ. He lived that incredible, miserly, frugal life. He gave everything, all of it, away to missions all the time. He was giving away 
what we would say today be millions and millions and millions of dollars. He lived in the, in the 1860s, 1850s. A man that just wanted to live this frugal, sparse, Spartan lifestyle so I can just give more away. He says, I can't go, but I can help others to go. I mean, this man would buy steamboats. He would outfit missionaries, people to go completely, spending all of his money to further the cause of God. People that had an understanding by faith, I'm giving up the world's plenty. Bill Borden is one of my heroes I spoke of a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday. Bill Borden, 1902, God, his parents gave him a million dollars. You know what a million dollars, and I said in, in our service Wednesday, you know what a million dollars is back in 1902 when he went to Yale? It was the equivalent of $13 million today. So here is, I mean, wouldn't you like that, college kids? Like, your parents give you $13 million, just a little bit of spending money. That's fun spending money, right? <coughs> no, we've got to remember our passage. <laughs> so he's given $13 million. You know what he spent it on? He spent it on starting a mission in Connecticut. He spent it on Moody Bible Institute. He spent it on the American Bible Society. Bill Borden, by the time he would eventually go on a mission field, he had given all of his money away, every last penny, everything for the cause of God. By the way, he would die on the mission field after a month of spinal meningitis. But he wrote those words that are so ingrained, and many have remembered those, his words of no, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. So I have no regret that I live for God and put God first. So as we look at the life of Moses, what, what drove him? How was he able to do it? Look at the words in verse 27, or end of verse 26. For he was looking for the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses looked for a reward that was yet coming. He saw the reward down the road. And he says, I'm not going to live for right now. I'm going to invest in the future. I'm not going to <coughs> be concerned about my investment right here on this earth and what I could get. God, I want to make it count for eternity. He worked for that reward. And I'm sure his reward was a blessed life, but it's far more than that. He had a reward of eternity, of God being happy with him and pleased with, with, with all that he did. For 40 years, Moses suffered in, in this world. For 40 years, he lived, and I should say for 40 years, he enjoyed this world. But for 40 years afterwards, he suffered in the desert, and then eventually would go back to lead children of Israel. For another 40 years, he would suffer. But his eyes were on the reward on what God would do in the future. Before I get to, in closing, verse 27, uh, Portia was a beautiful, um, wealthy heiress, and she's the heroine of the merchant of Shakespeare, the merchant of Venice. And as the story goes, she had many suitors that wanted her hand in marriage. And the father had given a will, or written a certain will, decreed his will, and whoever would get her, her hand had to choose the right um, um, bass box that he had made, or I should say chess. There were three chests. The first chest was made of gold, and inscribed on this chest, whosoever choose me shall gain what many men desire. And inside was the picture of a skull. The second chest was a silver chest, and on these words was, who chooses me gets as much as he deserves, and inside was a picture of a fool. The third chest was a lead chest, 
And on the, on the inscription on these words of that chest was, who chooses me must give and hazard all that he has. And the story goes that many chose the first two chests. All of our suitors chose the first two. But there was one man, Bosnio, that loved Portia. And he wanted her. And he read that third chest, and he said, that describes me. I'm willing to give everything to have her. And when he opened the chest, it was a picture of Portia, and he got her hand in marriage. But he was willing to give everything because of the woman that he loved. Are we willing to give everything because of the one that we love? But here's how it drives home. Okay, how, how can we do that? How can I give everything? Or put in the context of the words enduring, how did they endure? How did they endure in verse 32, 36 of chapter 10, 12, 2, and 3? How, how am I able to endure? How am I able to make right decisions? How can I choose the invisible? I want us to see in verse 27 quickly and in 12, 2. It says of Moses, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Here's how we make godly decisions. Moses looked to God. Moses never got his eyes off of God. He kept viewing the invisible. He saw a God that was so big and so powerful that he kept looking to him, viewing the invisible. I will make these decisions because my eyes are on God. It's not on what what will give me success. It's not on what will give me pleasure. It's not on what others will think of me, give me acceptance. It's not on some temporary momentary thing. God, I'm on you. What is your will? But for us Christians, if I may say, it, it's kind of cool how it all comes together. Here's the answer for us, 12 verse 2, looking to Jesus. How do we endure? How can I run this race? How can I make decisions and choices that that are, that, that are God-honoring, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Put differently, God, help me to never get over the gospel. God, help me to just, just rejoice in who you are. Help me never to forget what you've done in my life. You okay? I mean, I know it's like a little late, but we started late. Just give me a couple minutes here. Yesterday, earlier in the time, I was a little disappointed that I couldn't enjoy Fred's awesome trip to, to West Point. I got over it pretty quickly when I realized the opportunity that was before me. Um, pretty priceless. To stand with a guy that, that I led to the Lord and to be able to have his funeral when people weren't expecting a, a service. And I, I said, this is going to be a little different service because the Catholic Church was having the, the service later and the viewing, my words were kind of interrupting the viewing. But it was just a God moment, you know, and it wasn't me, it was words that he gave me, but the attention of the people, and I just related the conversation I had with Alex. So can, can I tell you how I got to know him? And I just said, you know, the second time we met, first time I just wanted to hear his story. The second time I asked him, if Alex, if you were to stand before God and God were to say to you, why should, and I gave them Alex's answer. Then I said to them, I said, you know, I said to Alex, would you be surprised if God disagreed with what you just said? And they said, yeah, what are you, what are you saying? 
And I just went through and says, you know, because the Bible says it's not by, by good works, but because we're sinners. And Jesus Christ, God the Son, died on the cross for my sins and rose again. And they said, you see, you receive this gift of eternal life when you put your faith and trust not in what you can do, but in Jesus. And God knows what will happen from all that listen. But as I was reflecting on that, then we had another opportunity an hour later or so down at our neighbor in an incident that happened. And then this morning talking to my dad's aide, um, who's of the Muslim faith and taking five minutes and pressing a little bit further. Uh, I, I've been praying the three weeks that she's been coming. And um, it just went upstairs this morning and just after talking to, to the aide, and just put on the hymn and wanted to listen to it twice. Fairest Lord Jesus. And just praying, God, may I never get over the gospel. May I never forget what you've done for me. May I never forget the, the simplicity, the beauty of it all. That I know Jesus. And I said to Kay, I said, you don't have any hope. I know the Muslim faith is no hope. You have a God that's filled with wrath, but my God, I started quoting John 3, 16. She quoted it with me. My God's a loving God. I said, we need to talk because in the Old Testament, Jesus is there. You, you, you accept the Old Testament. You could see him there, and he's going to be Yahweh, the Messiah, the Savior that has hope offered to you. So how do I endure how do I make choices in this life that are not on the temporal, but the eternal? It's got to be by looking to Jesus. It's got to be, God, let me ever remember the gospel, this world and this chaos and this challenges. But God, I am going to be resolved to live for you, to walk with you as I look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God, we love you. We thank you for, for your grace in our lives. We thank you for all that you have done. God, may we make choices, may we endure because of who you are and what you've done for us. God, we love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.